How's it, Mensa? And welcome to everyone online. And some of the biggest legends in the world are here. Um, I have some, there's some people that are new moms and dads with their tiny babies that have just come to church. Congrats to you guys. We've got some old school legends in the house here as well. And I'm just so grateful to be kicking off Habakkuk. If you don't know, we've been preaching through the minor prophets this year. We've done like 10 minor prophets almost or something huge like that. And it's actually brilliant how applicable that has been to us in 2021 and how those ancient texts have been relevant. But the preaching team said, James, as you kick off Habakkuk, you need to be careful. You know, I can hear Marion in the back of my head, be careful, okay? I can hear her telling me, be careful. Um, they said, I need to warn you guys that you need to put your seatbelts on. Because, yeah, hebatu. Put your seatbelt on. Because not every book of the Bible is just some light and fluffy. Some of them are really raw and honest, and this is one of them. So put your seatbelt on. This is not going to be comfortable all the way through, but I promise you we will talk about Jesus in there, and we will survive. Now, I don't know what your political preference is, but one thing I can say with confidence is that 2021 has been one of the most tumultuous years for South Africa post-apartheid. I mean, we don't need to look far to just remember the protest action that was gutting for the economy, racial tension, I think especially in Phoenix, but not just limited to Phoenix that has risen up in our country, corruption scandals that have just escalated on top of and worse than what we knew they were before. There was, there's been great perversion of justice that's taken place in South Africa in 2021 and rolling blackouts most recently. The general theme on Facebook or on social media is negativity about South Africa. The unprecedented has in many ways become our daily bread in South Africa, but I just also wanted to lift our eyes past the borders and just recognize that there are many countries out there in far more dire straits. I think of the Afghanistan, which is in a three-way war between the Taliban, ISIS, and uh, Al-Qaeda. I think of the 18 war-torn countries that are listed as officially at war, even more northern Africa, we have civil war breaking out. And on top of that, people, these people are leaving war-torn situations and being met by hostility by increasing nationalistic European countries that don't want to welcome them. On top of that, we have riots breaking out worldwide about the tension between forced vaccinations and personal liberty. We also have the COVID pandemic causing a global recession with the fourth wave ripping through Europe right now. We live in a knife's edge, polarized, tumultuous time. And I think we can agree that 2021 has really been a chaotic year for the world. But the question that we need to ask ourselves as concerned citizens in South Africa or just Christians that are stationed in the world is how do we respond? How do we process this tumultuous situation? What does God have to say to us? Well, I want to suggest to you that the book of Habakkuk is one of the best places we could be in the times that we're living right now. And I think what we're going to find is there are ancient solutions for our modern problems and that for our changing times, we have an unchanging God. And the book of Habakkuk is going to be great for us to navigate that through. In fact, the, the name Habakkuk means to cling. And so we are going to be, learn how we can cling or embrace uh, unchanging God in these changing times. Fun fact, 
The book of Habakkuk is the only book in the Bible which is entirely comprised of a conversation between God and a person. And so we're going to open up that conversation today. I encourage you to have your own Bibles open. Um, it's don't believe me, believe the Bible. If you don't have the Bible with you, it's going to come up on the sky Bible behind me. And we're going to open up this conversation under four headings. Firstly, the context. Secondly, the complaint. Thirdly, the curveball. And fourthly, the conundrum. So the, the context, the complaint, the curveball, the conundrum, Glenn would be so happy, they all seize. Okay? Now, let's start off with the context. The book of Habakkuk was written around 2,500 years ago in the nation of Israel. After a long evil regime that they endured, there arose a new king in Israel whose name was Josiah. He was a good king. He found the word of God. He obeyed the word of God, believed the word of God, and made the word of God the central theme of his reign. He reinstated ancient worship practices in Israel, and he brought, uh, he revamped the temple and said, this is important that we worship God. They entered in with King Josiah, an era of hope, an era of spiritual revival. It was great. But then, King Josiah died. And after this, there's disillusionment. There is decline in Israel, and they regress back to their evil ways. You can read Ezekiel or Jeremiah to read that in detail. But in the midst of seeing this, this revival and then seeing this decline is a prophet called Habakkuk. Now, I would like to suggest to us that this context is not necessarily unique to everyone in this room, if you have lived in South Africa and you're in your 40s, you have probably got a very similar context about this country. After a long, dark, evil regime of apartheid, there arose one who was willing to take the long walk to freedom. And the old regime and old false ideologies and systemic racism were overthrown and reforms were brought and an era of hope was born and the rainbow nation was birthed. But there is also the death of this leader. There is also, years hence, great decline, moral decline, disillusionment, and hopelessness. And I want to suggest that for us in our context, we really need to look at Habakkuk, who went through the exact same, for us to find hope in this situation that we find ourselves in South Africa. Are you with me? That is the context. Secondly, the complaint. The complaint that Habakkuk has is about the country. He is super unhappy about the state of the nation. You can read with me from verse 2 to 4. Habakkuk says to God, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? He says here, you look idly on at wrong. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. I wonder if some of us can relate to that if we just think of this hit list from South Africa. Have we also 2021 seen violence, inequity, strife, prosperity of the wicked and perversion of justice if so, we would be doing well to look at how Habakkuk reacted to this situation in his nation. But as we read that, some of us get uncomfortable as we read 
Habakkuk saying that to God, some of us feel, can you really speak to God that way? Surely this is a negative example of how we're supposed to speak to God. But before I actually answer into that later in the sermon, I just want to illuminate a few positive things that Habakkuk is doing there that we can take note of. Firstly, in this complaint, he actually brings his concerns to God. We notice that toxicity of disappointment in his heart is not spewed out around his mates around the bride. He isn't blogging, tweeting, ranting on Facebook. We notice that he actually goes to God. That his first port of call is when I'm disappointed, I go to God. I wonder how many of us need that as an application for us to imitate Habakkuk in this. Because in the word of God, 1 Peter 5, it says, God says, hurl your anxieties on me for I care for you. If you blog, tweet, rant, whatever, it's not going to do anything constructive for your life, happiness, faith, regardless. The one thing that will is if we go directly to God. So that is the first positive thing about this action of Habakkuk. The second one is that he's actually concerned about the state of the nation. We notice that he really genuinely is not just thinking about him and his family and whether they need to catch a plane to another country. We notice actually that he really does have the big picture in mind, that he is actually concerned about the greater nation out there. I wonder if we are like that, if we can imitate Habakkuk in that. And an application point for that is just to ask God to break your heart for what breaks his. I wonder if we can be a little bit more concerned about the state of this nation because God placed us in it, not by accident, but deliberately did so. I wonder if we can, in the midst of our day, just carve out two minutes of prayer to say, Lord, we lift up President Cyril Ramaphosa, give him wise counsel, help him to lead this country with justice, make him a godly man with godly edicts. Lord, we pray for this economy. You can just keep going. I wonder if we can be a people to imitate Habakkuk in this. He brings his concerns to God and he is actually concerned about the state of the nation. And the third thing is that his concerns are actually biblical concerns. What we see is he's concerned with wrongdoing, verse 3. He's concerned with injustice in verse 3. He's concerned with violence. He's concerned that God's word is paralyzed in verse 4. He's concerned with reigning wickedness. We really see his greatest problem is that God's word is being paralyzed in his country and that what God would desire is not happening. So these are biblical concerns. But despite that whole list, violence, oppression, all that stuff, his main complaint is more fundamental and deeper than with these circumstances. His primary complaint is with God himself. Look at this verse here. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you look idly at wrong? Habakkuk is really upset with God himself. God, why are you not answering my prayers? God, why don't you stop the looting and violence? God, why do you let corruption spread? God, when are you bringing these people to justice? Habakkuk is really bleak that God is seemingly uninvolved, took a holiday and left the country off to autopilot. And that is his central complaint that he has with God. Now it's getting real. Ne. 
but it's getting realer later, don't worry. So there's two stories we need to be careful that we understand and we log that are going on when we're in a traumatic situation. The one is the story of the actual literal circumstances that we're facing, be that in this instance, corruption in the country, injustice. But beyond the circumstance of trauma that we're facing, we need to log the story of how does this trauma actually make me feel about God himself. I think we really need to do a conscious effort in our trauma to ask ourselves this question, how does this thing that I'm going through make me feel about my relationship with God? Because what is happening in your life will wash up on the shore of your relationship with God. So it's important that we log that in our mind and we really understand that what our complaint is and who it's directed against. Before we throw Habakkuk too heavily under the bus that his complaint is with God, I think many of us have complaints against God. We just haven't logged it yet. Now, his complaints essentially I'm summarizing as the following, that the ungodliness of the current national scene makes Habakkuk deeply disappointed with God because of God's lack of involvement. The current ungodliness of the national scene makes him really upset with God because of God's lack of involvement. That is the complaint. Thirdly, the curveball. Whoa, flip. Here we go now. So how does God respond to this complaint? Does God say, well, that's it. Bring a lightning bolt down, boom, and just strike down, have a cook on the corp, and then have a braai? That isn't what God does. God is actually gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He says, okay, Habakkuk, let's talk. So he responds to him. Verse 5, he says to Habakkuk, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if told. I want you to underline that verse, I'm doing a work in your days you would not believe even if told because we're going to come back to that. So basically, Habakkuk's complaint, remember, is God is not involved in the current national scene. That makes me bleak. God says, Habby, I am super involved, okay? I am so involved that I've got a plan up, can you say up my sleeve? That's, is that a God thing? Um, that God has a plan um, that he is going to, that he has for Habakkuk and the nation that he says, you wouldn't believe this plan, even if I told you. Now, we know from the evidence of the rest of this book that Habakkuk doesn't say, oh, Lord, I hear you now that you have a plan. Holy is your name. Praise you. you your ways are higher than my ways. And I rest before praying that you are sovereign and you have a plan. We know from the evidence of this book that Habakkuk is not, not happy to just hear, I have a plan. It's like when I say to Laura, don't worry, I have a plan for dinner. There's concern that settles into her psyche because that plan could be anything. That could mean another bri. Another bri. That's generally what it means. But actually, Habakkuk's not happy to hear God says, don't worry, Habakkuk, you wouldn't believe me if I told you, but just rest assured I have a plan. Habakkuk's like, no, 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 Lord. You don't get to pull that card. You know the golden rule. You can't start telling me something and then halfway go, oh, but I'm not going to tell you because you wouldn't believe me. We don't, even in normal conversation, we don't say, yes, have you heard about what happened to Mary? You wouldn't believe it. What happened? I won't tell you because you wouldn't believe me. 
I mean, so Habakkuk presses God for the details. He's like, no, 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 Lord, you know the golden rule. You've got to tell me what this plan is that you have. So then God says to Habakkuk in verse 6 what his plan is. And then Habakkuk goes, I can't believe it. And then God goes, I told you. This is what I've been saying, Habby. I told you you're not going to believe me if I told you, and then I told you you couldn't believe me. So what did God say? What was this big curveball? Well, we find it in verse 6. For behold, when God says for behold, here starts a thing now. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth. They seize dwellings that are not their own. They are dreaded. They are fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. They come for violence. They gather captives like sand. They laugh at every fortress. They are guilty men whose own might is their God. Sure. So God says, here's the curveball, Abby. I am raising up the most evil people in the world. And my plan, even though they make everyone else look like holy choir boys, my plan is to use those people to raise them up to be violent and to plunder and to pillage and to destroy the nation of Israel. And that is how I'm going to deal with your moral decline issue. Surprise. And not many of you are impressed with God's plan. Well, that leads us on from the complaint, the curveball, and the conundrum to, oh, sorry, to the conundrum. The context, wherever we are, the conundrum, number four. So God makes clear what his intentions are to deal with this injustice. And Habakkuk says, you have got to be joking. Your solution to immorality in Israel is to send a more immoral people to destroy them. And your solution to injustice in Israel is to send a more unjust people to punish them. How can this be your plan? In fact, he says here in verse 12, are you not from everlasting? This is sarcasm. And in fact, the, the Hebrew scholar Francis Anderson, he is a Hebrew expert. He says the word translated, are you not, in the 96 occurrences in the Bible, always connotates human argumentation with sarcasm. And so when Habakkuk says, are you not from everlasting? He's actually saying, God, I thought you are supposed to be infinite. I thought the Bible said you're infinitely wise. I thought you're supposed to be eternal and you've got good plans. Well, apparently that's not true. That's how he opens up. But wait, there's more. It's like a very Mark ad, but it just gets worse. Okay, that's just the opener. Are you not from everlasting? And now the rest of Habakkuk's conversational prayer is a highlights reel of every reason Habakkuk thinks God's plan is dumb and that God is dumb. So he says in verse 12, you have appointed these guys to become judges. I thought you said in your word, you're supposed to be the judge. Verse 13, I thought you said you're too pure to look at evil. So why have you got a blind spot for the most evil people? And then he says, God, can't you foresee what is going to happen? They are going to loot us, and then they are going to thank their false gods for providing the victory. You are inadvertently promoting 
idolatry and false religion. And then he says, verse 17, I thought you are supposed to be a God of mercy. Where's the mercy in this, God? Where's your mercy? And it's like a bomb has gone off. Um, it's almost like this conversation ends like there's a nuclear detonation. And this conversation has gotten to there. Remember, Habakkuk didn't get the answer that he wanted. What did he want? He wanted a revival like Josiah. He wanted his prayers answered. God says, that's not my plan. This is my plan. Habakkuk loses his mind and thinks God doesn't live up to God's own standards. God doesn't live up to God's own character. God is inconsistent with all that he claims to be. And so how does God react to this most ridiculously like offensive attack that Habakkuk lays upon the almighty, omnipotent God? How does God respond? Well, that's Habakkuk chapter 2. I'm not preaching about that. That's next week. That's 947 online. That's Malcolm Tay. He's the one that's going to preach about how, how God responds. But as for me, I want to spend a little bit of time on this miserable passage, and then these other guys can have nice passages. I just want to be spending a little bit of time in the nuclear explosion that's gone off and walk around the debris a little bit, and so we can pick out in this debris some things that might relate to us in South Africa in 2021, because we are sitting in the debris. We're not living in the resolved Habakkuk 3 stage, we're living in the Habakkuk 1 stage right now. So I want to preach about these little pieces in the debris that we can pick up that teach us about God in our difficult situation that we might find ourselves right here, right now. So how can we cling to an unchanging God in the midst of this over here? So the first thing I wanted to bring to our attention is in this bomb site, we actually see we can come to God warts and all. You know the expression. You can come to God just as you are, ugly as you are, absolutely dreadful as we might be. In this bomb site, I hope that we are really seeing that God can handle us when we are at our absolute worst. That when we're in a traumatic situation, God knows how to handle us with care. Derek Kidner, he's this Bible scholar. He says Habakkuk's prayers in chapter one are really important. Their very presence witnesses to God's understanding. We recognize that Habakkuk's prayers were not recorded in scripture here for us to imitate them. And so that's a good line. We should pray like that. Please don't. Um, they are not recorded there for us as a good model. They are recorded there for us to see God understands when we are in a trauma that we're not at our best. And God is big enough, powerful enough, kind enough to actually handle us when we are in that space. God doesn't only expect you to relate to Him when you're happy, when you have perfect emotional control and your theology is on point. But when you come there, warts and all roars can be the way you are when you spew on social media. God is really wanting you not to waste your toxic disappointments on the world of social media. He really wants you to spill your guts, warts and all, to Him. Because God is inviting you into that conversation. In fact, we notice from the rest of Habakkuk when like Dunks and these guys preach happy verses that 
Habakkuk actually goes from a place of worry to a place of worship because he came to God warts and all. We notice that he came with a complaint, but he left with consolation. We notice that he came in with sighing, but he left singing because he came to God warts and all. So can I encourage us as well to really come to God raw as we might be, warts and all. The second thing that I want us to see as we walk around this nuclear bomb site is the fact that God is sovereign. This is not a new theme for the Old Testament prophets. You guys have heard this, that God is the king who is in charge and seated on his throne, that he rules and he reigns. When I go through a trauma in my life, I can tell you for a fact, my first instinct is God is not in charge and he doesn't have a good plan for my life. That is just my sinful self immediately going to that conclusion. Whatever trauma might catch me blindsided, my, I don't know about you, but my first instinct is God doesn't have a plan. But what we actually see as we walk around the debris and the bomb site is that God was way more involved in the situation in Israel than Habakkuk ever dared to imagine. That God, in fact, had a plan, not one that Habakkuk wanted, but God had already instituted a plan. God is super involved and has not left any country to autopilot so that God just looks on and from a distance and goes, well, you made your bed, so you can now, you know, God isn't like that. God is actually super involved. I think our issue is that we can't see the evidence that we're looking for, that we want evidence that God is at work and what his plan is. And the problem with that evidence-based attitude is that we're not a faith-based people. Faith-based people, faith according to Hebrews 11, is the substance or reasoning of things that are not yet seen. So for us to be, to be Christians that live like practical atheists in saying, I only believe what I can see, denies us the opportunity of rising to the occasion to be a people of faith that believe in the sovereignty of God when the chips seem down, when the things seem chaotic. If we just, just go straight back to, but oh, this is just the truth of the matter, isn't it? This country is going to the dogs. God God's not in charge of it. He's left it. That kind of thing is denying us being a people of faith in the midst of this situation. It isn't faith that South Africa will turn around. It isn't faith that God is going to send like some superpower like the equivalent of the Babylonians to come destroy us and that's going to sort it out. We can't copy paste that specific prophecy for us. But what we need to do is grab a hold of the principle that God is in charge and that we need to be a people that believe it even when the evidence doesn't seem to be pointing in that direction. And so, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you like Welsh people, I know we beat Wales. Hallelujah, God be praised. Okay? But if you like Welsh preachers that are fiery, yes, get Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on your podcast. He says, every nation on earth is under the hand of God. There is no power in this world that is not ultimately controlled by Him. Things are not what they seem to be. Remember, he was preaching on Habakkuk. It seemed to be the, the prowess of Babylon that brought them into the ascendancy. But this is not the case. God had raised them up. Things are not what they appear to be. Because in fact, the truth of the Bible is that God is seated in the heavens and the nations are just specks of dust before him, that he is ruling and he is reigning from his throne and that actually he is the Lord of all human history, that he started human history, he is upholding human history and he will sum up all of human history in Christ according to Ephesians chapter one. History is his story, that's why it's called history. God is the Lord 
over all of history. So things might seem chaotic in South Africa. Things might seem chaotic in the world and that there's no order. It's all just chaos theory. No, it's not. God is ruling. He is reigning. And the reason we can have hope in God in no matter what South Africa is happening in South Africa because we know who's on the throne is God, the omnipotent, the kind, the loving, the almighty. He's on the throne. And that is what makes us sleep at night. Charles Spurgeon says that the sovereignty of God is the pillow on which we rest our heads at night. If it's all up to whatever happens, it's just no plan, we can fear because anything goes. We can just live like practical atheists. But we believe as Christians that God is on the throne and that's what causes us to sleep at night. That God is actually in control of what is happening right here. So in the turmoil, we can find peace knowing that God is God and He is in charge. And for this reason, we have unchanging God in changing times that we can cling to. And if we cling to Him, we will rest at night no matter what our feed says because we know who's behind everything of human history. He's the God who's in charge. We praise Him. We praise Him. And the third thing I want you to see is the most important thing for us to see every time we come together on a Sunday, every time you read your Bible, every time we engage with God, the most important thing we need to see is the gospel. And that's the third thing that I want to illuminate as we walk around the debris. Jesus said, the whole Old Testament is about me. I'm the main character. And he showed his disciples. Well, where's, where's the gospel here in Habakkuk chapter 1? You know, I'm like a bloodhound. I just go for the gospel every passage because I know that's the point of the passage. And yet I went through the passage four times. I'm, where's this? I don't see it. But luckily, cheat code, if you find a cross-reference to the New Testament, it's probably a good cheat. So I found that. And the apostle Paul spotted the gospel in, Acts, in Habakkuk chapter 1. In Acts chapter 13, verse 38 He's presenting the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles. And he says, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And then he goes on to explain, this is a forgiveness that is attained through faith. And guess what? The very next verse, he says, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you would not believe, even if one tells you. That's Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. It seemed in Habakkuk 1 verse 5 when God said, I have, I have this plan that I'm going to do in your days. You wouldn't believe even if I told you that it was just relating to that situation. But it turns out it actually has bearing on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that was the ultimate fulfillment that the complaint of Habakkuk was going to be met by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That actually the complaint wasn't going to be met with a little socio-political answer about Israel in that day, but that God intended to deal with all injustice, with every wrong at the cross. And what does this mean? It means that God is bringing salvation out of judgment. The judgment that Habakkuk said, this is inconsistent with your character. No, no, no. God is going to bring salvation out of Judgment. God is going to bring salvation out of injustice. God is going to bring salvation out of violence and oppression. Because on the cross, Jesus was flogged. He was absolutely destroyed, spat on, gouged, nailed to a cross. There was violence. There was oppression there. There was also injustice. The only perfect person in the world to ever lived was killed like a common criminal up on some hill. And out of that injustice, God is doing his greatest work. So Habakkuk was wrong to say, 
You, God can actually, I didn't say this at the eight, he can draw a straight line with a crooked stick because he's God. He uses injustice and converts it into the greatest moment of salvation. He takes violence and he turns it into the greatest moment of salvation. Habakkuk wanted a socio-political answer in his day, but what God wants us to look at is at the gospel, because at the gospel, Jesus dealt with reversing all of those things for the benefit of those who have faith in him. There was brutality. Every single injustice of the whole world was laid upon him. On him was laid the chastisement, the punishment of us all. Every curse of mankind that we earnestly deserved and we honestly should receive was laid upon someone who shouldn't have received it. I am doing something in your day that you wouldn't believe even if told. It's an upside down kingdom. It doesn't conform to our logic. The wisdom of God as personified on the cross God doesn't overcome evil with other power. He overcomes evil with sacrifice. You wouldn't believe, even if told, the plan that God had in the salvation. And this tells us now in Johannesburg in 2021, here in South Africa, turmoil that we find ourselves, the one thing we can know for absolute certain is that we will not be forsaken by God. Why? Because Jesus was already forsaken in our stead on the cross. He was the sacrificial lamb. He was the one who came and paid the penalty. And on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken so that you will never be forsaken. And so one thing that we know, that we, a plan that we wouldn't even imagine or believe if told, is that God has forsaken his own son, so that wherever we find ourselves socio-political turmoil, we will never be forsaken by God. And the truth is, neither will I leave you, neither will I forsake you. The great gospel, the one answer, the thing that even when we don't understand what's happening, we return to the gospel and we think about the injustice and we think about how God turned it for our salvation. What a good God we serve. What a magnificent God. And so the band can join me on stage, but this is the one ancient solution to every single modern spiritual problem that we might have. One solution that for the changing times, we have an unchanging gospel. And that is the good news. And that is what we cling to. That is how we Habakkuk. That is how we cling to God, is because of what Jesus has done for us. We know that he is seated on his throne, and we know that he defeated Satan, and he defeated the, de the legions of evil on that cross. It was his good pleasure to send his only son, and it was the son's own will to go and suffer for that end. And so what we're going to sing about is this victory that we're going to see that the battle belongs to the Lord, that the weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper, that when the darkness falls, it won't prevail, because the God I serve knows only how to triumph, and my God will never fail. But I want you to not sing that thinking about your situation. I want you to sing that in light of the cross that Jesus has won that battle, that no matter what has happened, the ultimate battle has already been won by the Lord. And so what we do see is a victory, a certain victory, a strong victory, an unassailable victory because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want you guys to stand with me full of faith, pump your lungs full of air to sing about this mighty God that we serve, that we worship here in this place. And let's sing our praise to Him and then we're gonna take communion.